This interview on Beyond Reality with Dylan Howard was divided into two parts. The first part discussed the royal family split with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. In this part, the second part, we discussed Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. I don't know how many of you watch uh, Tucker Carlson's program on Fox News. It's one of my favorites. But um, a couple nights ago, while I was away, and I had it, I had it uh, DVR'd, so I, I went back and watched it. He did a, a segment about um, UFOs and new information that's coming from the Department of Defense that further clarifies and indeed supports the idea that the military has information, not just information, but physical evidence of visitations from uh, uh, otherworldly craft. So this is uh, quite striking because I haven't seen a lot of this in any mainstream media, and I know there's been hints of it. And I, I want to put some stuff together to, to talk about this in the first part of our show tomorrow night. And uh, hopefully I'll have a chance to do that um, with Slick Eddie. We'll try to get that done. And then after that, tomorrow night, we've got Brad Schreiber joining us. He's going to be talking about a book he's written, Music is Power, How Music Influences Our Culture, changes our social fabric and uh, mirrors and not only mirrors but also guides some of the controversies of any given decade it's so great to see everybody uh, filing back in here i know when we have a weekend and we've got some pre-records it gets you know people um sometimes get a little distracted but it's great to have everybody back here if you're in youtube hello to all of you there please subscribe to the youtube channel if you're in our twitch channel that's awesome, too. Thanks for uh, joining us there. Follow. It's free to do that, but I also encourage you to subscribe. There is a fee for subscriptions in the Twitch channel. If you have Amazon Prime, you can just link your Prime account, then there's no additional charge. Otherwise, there's a fee, but you do get some benefits like ad-free viewing and access to uh, different uh, benefits like additional emotes and your noggin points, which if you're in Twitch, you know what I'm talking about. The noggin points accumulate at, a, at twice the rate which can be fun as well. So was anything else that we needed to talk? I don't think so. I think, uh, I think we've gotten all caught up here and uh, we'll go to break. We'll get our guest on because we have a lot to talk about again tonight. We're talking with Dylan Howard, investigative journalist and author. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of topics, including Jeffrey Epstein. Please support the program. Go to patreoncom slash Joe Haw. That's J O H A W. Um, website is Royals at war.com. He's got many books to his credit. All of them address very, very interesting topics. The most recent is uh, bad, and it's an unprecedented investigation into the Michael Jackson cover-up. We've been talking about royals at war, and we're going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, Dylan, one of the most interesting, in some ways disturbing, but certainly curious uh, headlines we've been reading recently is this Jeffrey Epstein case. Um, Jeffrey Epstein, of course, uh, accused of some very horrific things, was arrested, ended up uh, committing, well, we're told, committed suicide in a Manhattan jail room in August of last year. There have been a lot of developments in this case recently. Set the stage for us here uh, as to what Epstein is accused of and what's happened in that case uh, up until the current time. So last November, uh, I did a true crime podcast called Devil in the Darkness that I executive produced and also uh, released a book called Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, 
with my co-authors Melissa Cronin and James Robertson, two other investigative journalists that I've worked with for a number of years. Um, the reality was we had known about Jeffrey Epstein and had covered his crimes dating back to the plea deal in Palm Beach for a number of years. So when it came to writing the book, it was a simple case of let's get the five boxes of material that we have stored and and let's forensically go through it. And we were able to actually put together this book in probably record time. We wrote a 60,000, 70,000-page book in three days um, because of the intimate knowledge that we had of the case. But what has been overlooked in this story, and, and, and it's really critically important that in talking about this, I'm not minimising the victims uh, of Epstein, but there is a much bigger story about Jeffrey Epstein that the world has ever known. The reality is that behind the masks of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell lies a very odious and hideous truth, a chilling true story of sex abuse, but one of political corruption and international espionage. And the media is slowly getting into this, but it was laid bare in November, not by say-so or speculation, but an on-the-record interview with his former spy handler, Ari Ben-Mashani, who revealed that Epstein was a spy running a complex intelligence operation for the purpose of blackmailing powerful individuals and politician in the, politicians in the United States and abroad. Jeffrey Epstein was not only a complex, damaged and controlling individual, but he was incredibly calculating. And he inherited the business from Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine's father, the former owner of the New York Daily News, and the Mirror Group, who was a known Mossad spy. This is, to me, one of the most significant stories in recent years that he got a sweetheart plea deal to avoid a grand jury because, as uh, Acosta, Trump's former Labor secretary, said, he was told, back off, this is above your pay grade. The reality is, Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein were, were allowed to roam free on United States soil as spies selling information to Israel, Russia and Saudi Arabia without impuni with impunity. And the victims of that were the hundreds of young girls that were exploited for the benefit of a classic honey trap operation. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, uh, the the sexual misconduct and the pedophilia involved in this was almost an aside to what was really happening. It was a means to the end. The end was spying and collecting information from powerful people. Um, and these underaged girls that were abused uh, were just the means to get there. 
I think that Jeffrey Epstein had his own peccadillos, pedophilia peccadillos, that he also satisfied himself with. But the very crux of this story is that how does someone amass a $600 million fortune with no job? Right. Follow the money trail. It's one of the other classic investigative journalism techniques. Look at the orbit within these individuals' work. And you'll soon learn that when you talk to people around them, it was a pretty simple operation. We know that the CIA and others, other foreign governments, have used honey traps for decades. What would happen with Maxwell and Epstein was they would hold a party, they would invite their targets and others. They would have a cocktail party and there would be of-age women there. Then they would seed the group with minors and the minor would be told, your target is Mr X. And Mr X would end up having sex with the minor and it was recorded because every room at an Epstein estate, each room had a camera in it. How do I know? I'm one of the very few people that have seen inside Jeffrey Epstein's New York mansion. Oh, wow. I've not been inside, but I've seen hundreds of photos, if not thousands of photos. Each room has a camera. It feeds back into an office. That office is then next to a series of industrial-sized Xerox machines, simply printing this material out, creating video files for the benefit of either blackmailing these individuals to provide compromat to these foreign institutions. That New York townhouse that had the videos, so did the Palm Beach, so did Orgy Island in the Virgin Islands, and so did his Paris estate. And that's why I think the arrest of Ghislaine Maxwell is so critically important because if she tells all and chooses to defend this case, could the fallout be too much, even for the US government? The reality here is this does not discriminate against the left or the right. Jeffrey Epstein had this operation running for three to four decades in which both Democrats and Republicans occupied the Senate, the House, and the White House. So if Ghislaine Maxwell defends his case, which incidentally I think would be the most foolish decision ever because the Southern District of New York does not bring a prosecution like this unless it's an unimpeachable case. Be careful what you wish for. If you look down the rabbit hole, you often, as I said earlier, might find something far more sensational. Wait, let, me, let me ask you for clarification on that, Dylan. When you say it would be foolish for her to defend the case because of the Southern District Court, what do you mean? So the Southern District, when they prosecute a criminal case, it rarely ever goes to trial because the Southern District of New York is viewed within the Department of Justice as a sovereign nation. It's almost like a its own Department of Justice. They rarely ever 
take a criminal case to court, and if they do, they win. They typically try, because their case is so so watertight, to get a plea deal beforehand and have that person admit to guilt. So there are three distinct routes that Ghislaine Maxwell could pursue. One could be a plea deal, and I would see of the six-count indictment the two perjury charges being tossed if she pleads guilty to the others, and instead of facing 35 years in prison, she might get 20. Her second option would be to defend the case. Now, if Ghislaine Maxwell is guilty of one thing, it is excessive hubris and a failure to understand just how determined Jeffrey Berman, the uh, ousted head of the SDNY, and Audrey Strauss was his replacement in this case. A source close to her has told me that, her being Maxwell, that she believes she'd never be charged in this case because the plea deal that Jeffrey Epstein took in 2007 included non-prosecution provisions for himself and quote-unquote others i.e. alleged co-conspirators. Now, they're not identified by name, but this was what Epstein was counting on as his legal defence when he was arrested on the tarmac of Teterborough Airport on July 6 last year. The SDNY doesn't believe that to be a valid legal argument. It challenged the very notion by arresting Jeffrey Epstein, and they argued that the 2007 deal only applied to the specific U.S. Attorney's Office in Florida that made the agreement, not all 94 federal prosecutors' offices in the country, which could explain why Epstein decided to commit suicide, if he did, um, and and forms the basis of what um, Maxwell will attempt to argue. Now, this as a matter of law has not been tested in a court um, and certainly wasn't in the Epstein case because he was found dead in his cell before it went to trial. But one of Epstein's lawyers who negotiated that original agreement has said in the wake of Maxwell's arrest that Epstein would never have signed the agreement or the lawyer would never have recommended it unless his legal team believed that it resolved all federal and state criminal liability. But if Maxwell is to use that as her defence, she's likely going to face heavy questioning. She can choose not to answer questions or take to the witness stand, but she's got to understand that the SDNY has, just like building blocks, created a case against her that is going to be so damaging that I can't see a jury of her peers finding her not guilty. Let me ask this uh, before I get into Maxwell's situation in a little more detail. Uh, Epstein was found dead in his jail cell. Do you think it was a suicide? And B, if it was a suicide, was it assisted in some way? I think you're spot on. It was an aided and abetted suicide. Someone who attempted to commit suicide two weeks prior, which Epstein did, 
and is put in what is called the hole, solitary confinement, is not returned to regular prison population so quickly thereafter, nor are they given clothing that would allow them to commit suicide, nor are they given electrical appliances with cords that would allow them to commit suicide, nor are they given prescription medication that would allow them to commit suicide. So Jeffrey Epstein was given the means and the motive to commit suicide at the Manhattan Correctional Centre, which was abysmally monitored on the night in question with guards asleep, cameras off. And I often say, where there's smoke, there's a new pope. Um, and there are far too many inconsistencies regarding Epstein's fateful night to suggest that it is anything but highly suspicious. When it go, comes to Maxwell, regardless of what path she takes legally, if she goes to trial or if she has a plea deal or, or, or anything else in that matter, does the the uh, decision she make ultimately affect what information is released and therefore who else can be charged in this? So the, the Department of Justice has said that there will be no superseding indictment against Maxwell, nor will any other defendant be charged. I think you will find that they built this case by going to other alleged co-conspirators, threatening them with detention, jail, charges, um, unless they cooperated. And these individuals likely got immunity or a non-prosecution agreement to provide evidence against uh, Maxwell. So I don't think there's necessarily going to be more charges related to this sex trafficking ring. But there is uh, one really perplexing thing that is yet to be answered after Maxwell's court appearance on July 15. And that was the revelation that she was secretly married to an unknown companion. Now, the United States Attorney, Alison Moe, who is the prosecutor who brought this case against Maxwell, revealed the marriage at the detention hearing. And she declared that Maxwell had not been forthcoming about who that person was. She declined to provide to pretrial services, quote-unquote, according to the prosecutor. And Maxwell gave no indication who she was married to either, all of which begs the question, who is the lucky man who married Ghislaine Maxwell and why did he marry her? Now, I have no empirical evidence to suggest this, but it is something that has been swirling around my mind ever since she was arrested. What if, and I place a significant emphasis on if, mm -hmm. Maxwell's secret husband is none other than Jeffrey Epstein himself, and the pair wed sometime prior to his suicide, many years ago. Now, as conspiratorial as that might sound, if they married, there would be an ultimate and unforeseen defence for Maxwell. That is the notion of spousal privilege, right. which remarkably is not terminated by death. 
So while others have speculated, perhaps with much more wisdom than me, that her secret husband is this tech tycoon, if she married Jeffrey Epstein, the estate of Epstein cannot testify against her if subpoenaed to do so. And any communications involving the marriage would be subject and not admissible in this particular case. And when I put this to a source that knows Maxwell and Epstein, they said to me that Ghislaine had once joked to them that Epstein's legal troubles might force him to do what he'd forever refused to do, and that was marry her. And we also know that Epstein loved a legal loophole. So though I have no evidence about it, and I, I can't stress that enough, it would take a dramatic turn if you have a case whereby Maxwell refuses to testify, the evidence against her is impeached on the basis of spousal privilege. It then comes down to an O.J. Simpson and Casey Anthony type situation. Do you believe those that are on the witness stand, victims and additional witnesses, or is enough reasonable doubt established from Maxwell's defence team to sway a jury to find her not guilty, absent text messages, handwritten notes, diary transcriptions, plane receipts, emails between Maxwell and Epstein, it would be a very difficult case to proceed with. And it would also be somewhat of a risk for the Southern District of New York. If you, as you believe, there would be no other indictments in this. I mean, we're some very, very high-profile names have been floated throughout this entire discussion. Not ours, but the the discussion about this case in general. Uh, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, um, Prince Andrew, which we mentioned earlier. You know, there are some people here that have a lot at stake as to how this proceeds. If you're the if you're the Justice Department and you know those names are involved, aren't they the bigger fish to be fried here? Yes, but again, we would have a situation where the frying would exploit the United States' culpability in allowing Maxwell and Epstein to operate on U.S. soil as international spies. Mm. And I don't think that the Department of Justice would want that to be revealed. When the Department of Justice went into Epstein's Manhattan uh, house, his mansion in Manhattan, um, I'm, un I'm under the impression of the understanding that a lot of materials were collected, videotapes, DVDs, whatever it is, all this, mm -hmm. all this information that would implicate a lot of different people. Did they get copies of this at that point, of this information at that point? Yes. They so did. The government has been um, very careful not to release details about what evidence has been seized. In fact, one of my uh, co-authors, James Robertson, is currently suing the FBI 
uh, for the release of the Palm Beach records related to the secret sweetheart plea deal. My personal belief is that we will be unsuccessful in that because the FBI will say, well, there's an active criminal matter before the courts in Maxwell, and it's also a matter of national security. But who else has these tapes? Well, certainly the international organisations likely have the tapes. And in a remarkable twist of fate, another man claims that he has the Florida tapes. His name is John Mark Dugan, who took matters into his own hands because he believed that there was corruption emanating from the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Department and moved to, of all places, Moscow. <laughs> he remains there now and says he has a copy of the entire case file, including videos of everybody that was involved in underage sex at Jeffrey Epstein's Palm Beach home. To think that that evidence is within the grasp, those blackmail tapes within the grasp of the Kremlin is frightening. That is frightening. And let's not forget, this guy's been given asylum. So you're not given asylum just because you ask for it. Right. This will, uh, as this unfolds, it'll become more and more interesting. Why do you think Maxwell came back to the United States? Clearly, she knew she was a target, and she had the means to not come back here. Excessive hubris. It's the only explanation for why someone could be so foolish. She could have done what a very famous Hollywood director did, Roman Polanski, in... The late 1970s, I believe, Roman Polanski was found guilty and admitted to having underage sex with a woman at Jack Nicholson's home. That's right. But before he could, he was jailed for a period of time and released. But before he went back to court, he did plead guilty to statutory rape. Before he went back to court, he fled the U.S., and despite numerous legal attempts to bring him back to face the courts, the French and Polish uh, national has been residing in France ever since. Ghislaine was so confident that that prior plea deal would save her, she chose not to do what would have seemed the obvious, use her vast resources to board a private jet and flee to France, where the extradition process is notoriously arduous, and she has French citizenship, which goes to show that she genuinely believed she was getting away with this. She chose to remain on 156 acres in Bradford, New Hampshire, a home that she purchased under a pseudonym for $1 million and was happy to live out a quiet life in the middle of nowhere with another man. Does Maxwell survive uh, to a trial or, or to, to an, a resolution in one way or another? I, would, I have enough faith in the justice system and the corrections department 
that she has to be the most watched prisoner in the world. I have to believe that. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be a travesty of... Unprop- I don't think the travesty could be quantified in words if she, was, if she were not to make it to trial or, or be killed in jail. I find it a little odd that there wasn't a much louder outcry when Epstein, Epstein himself was found dead, um, especially given the circumstances. That seemed to have, have, have has, uh, has faded away uh, rather quickly. I mean, it seems as though that itself was a travesty. Absolutely. You must feel for the victims in this, the innocent women whose lives in many ways, were lost as a result of the decision to allow Epstein and Maxwell to operate on U.S. soil as spies. Innocent lives, tortured and tormented because they were used as a pawn in a game of international espionage. And that's why getting to the bottom of who knew what, when, how, and why they chose not to do anything is critically important for the American people to understand. Dylan, we've only got a few more minutes left with you. I just want to spend what time we have remaining on your newest book, Bad, which explores and investigates the Michael Jackson uh, conspiracy when you, in your book, you're, what do you, what part of the conspiracy are you addressing? Is it the is it is it the death or is it the pedophilia? So it is a rite of passage for myself. I grew up idolizing, as as most young boys did, uh, Michael Jackson's music and dancing skills. But at the beginning of last year, there was a posthumous narrative of his life that entered into the world through the HBO documentary Leaving Neverland. That's right, yeah. And two new accusers stepped forward, Wade Robson and James Safechuck, and they were essentially given a forum, a subjective exercise from the outset. And I've been accused of being anti-Michael for decades by Jackson fans. Um, the reality is quite the opposite. This was a rite of passage for me to try and determine whether or not the man I grew up following and idolising was indeed, as one lawyer said, uh, the most sophisticated child sex abuse procurement and facilitation operation the world has known. Of course, that odious title has probably since been passed to Epstein and Maxwell. Right. But it was important for me to set out, without any professional pride, that there was always going to be a juxtaposition of sadness with this telling of this story. But to understand whether Michael was not a saint, whether whether or not he was pure, innocent. And what I discovered was that he was a deeply damaged individual. And yes, he was also a victim, but 
he didn't understand right from wrong. And in fact, in the prologue of the book, I open up with a video that's never before been published. And I describe it in forensic detail about how he is caught on camera and indeed filming it himself with young boys in a bed at an international resort. And the, the reality here was that he had an unhealthy attitude towards children and though he may never have been convicted of pedophilia and those that support him say his only crime was his innocent love for youngsters, this was a boy, this was a man, I should say, who never grew up. He was a man who hit a porn stash in his Neverland ranch and guzzled prescription drugs and booze. And his fascination with young boys was wrong. Was he Willy Wonka or willfully wonky? <laughs> now, for fanatics, they will refute anything that's inconvenient. I'm lying. This is agenda-driven. They're not interested in the truth. They will only ever believe what they want to believe and will continue to live in an echo chamber of Michael's innocence. Michael was a music, musical genius. That is indisputable. But he was also fundamentally and fatally flawed and largely the architect of his own downfall by being a drug addict. I expect that with the release of my book, Bad, that the floodgates will reopen to a trolling campaign of those that are offended that anyone dare suggest Michael Jackson wasn't perfect and flawless. But what I do reveal in the book is that the man behind the mirror is indeed not the man many people still believe that he is. There was a lot of controversy surrounding the HBO documentary uh, miniseries. I think it was just a two-part uh, documentary, Leaving Never Neverland. Uh, were those stories, in your estimation, uh, legitimate stories? I have a policy that I do not like to uh, question the veracity or credibility of anyone that accuses someone of sexual assault because we don't know. Um, but what I do think is what I report in the book that recall of these types of incidents are often fraught. And I actually ran the statements from uh, the two accusers through stress analysis tools that are used by law enforcement to detect whether or not someone is telling the truth and if there's any deception. And on the large part, most of what they said was true, according to these analysts. But there was some embellishment, according to these analysis, uh, analysts, and that certainly puts things into some perspective. But I'm not going to sit here and discredit Wade Robson's story or that of James Safechuck because I wasn't in the room. But what I can say is, by virtue of the British filmmaker who made this film, Dan Reed, his decision to offer Robson and 
Safechuck a forum, that was a subjective exercise from the outset. My book, on the other hand, was an objective endeavour to try and to, to try and discover the truth, not just about them, but behind all the scandals of Michael. And I'm very proud that I think I've put together a uh, fair, accurate account of Michael Jackson's life. And I went into it as every journalist should, like we talked about at the, stop of the, at the top of the program, with a methodical and open mind. Final question. Uh, Michael Jackson was clearly an enigma. Was it the isolation that created that prior to the drug abuse? Uh, something in his life, was it just that he never had a chance to be a child, a normal child? Yes, no doubt. But it's like saying Ghislaine Maxwell is a narcissistic sociopath and therefore we can excuse her behaviour or that's an explanation for her behaviour. We are adults. We know right from wrong. Musical talent, yes, he had it. A strange obsession with young boys, yep, he had it. Increasingly bizarre behaviour, yep, he did. His obsession with plastic surgery, Oh, he had it all right. His addiction to drugs, unimpeachable. These cannot be ignored. The truth cannot be ignored. And Michael lived a life in the public eye. He hated it at some times, but mostly he courted it. And in many ways, he courted it to hide the dark side of his personality. He wasn't a saint. He wasn't pure, innocent. He was incredibly complex and that might have been from his upbringing, but it doesn't excuse his behaviour. Dylan, that's the end of our time here. Your body of work is remarkable, uh, not only uh, well done, but also covers just an amazing uh, list of topics and people. Uh, once again, let people know where they can find your books. They can find uh, the books at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, other online retailers, and all good brick and mortar bookstores. And I hope you'll agree to come back. Each one of these books and these topics could occupy an entire show. We fit a lot into one program uh, tonight, but I'd love to have you come back and, and do some more on some of these topics. Anytime I would love to come back. You've been listening to the second of a two-part interview with Dylan Howard on Beyond Reality. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.